This episode is dedicated in loving memory to Kaisha Martin Goods. She was a beloved friend, colleague, and one of the greatest educators I have ever had the pleasure of meeting and working with. She was a true leader in education and with her students. She will be missed and never forgotten. Welcome back to the Progress Not Perfection with Dr. W podcast. Thank you all for joining us again for episode 12. And on episode 12, I have a very special guest with me here today. Um, He he is one of my mentors who has been gracious enough to give us his time. And I want to welcome Dr. Michael Walter to our podcast for the first time ever. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me to be here. Um, It's a great opportunity and and especially, you know, uh, being able to work with you, especially in this different format than we've done before. (laughs) Yes, we have. So um, for those of you who don't know us, Dr. Walter and I are colleagues at the university in which we work at. But when I started, he was my he was assigned to be my mentor. So we were kind of brought together through a, a mentoring program formally. And then when that program ended, we just decided to stick together. Right. Absolutely. And it's kind of like melded from a mentor mentee relationship almost to like an informal brother and sister relationship, too. <laughs> Right. We call each other more brother and sister now than we do like mentor, mentee, you know, and, and what is this? We're like six or seven years in at this point. Pretty much. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Time flies when you're having fun. So, you know, uh, Dr. Walter has done a lot. I would love for a second, if you could introduce yourself to our audience a little bit about what you do, because we actually have a really um, interesting and unique episode planned for today. Um. Well, thank you. Um, uh, as uh, Lisa was saying, I have a, my doctorate in organiza- organization and management. Um, I actually am the program director of management and leadership at Goodwin University. Uh, I've been uh, there for about nine years now, and I've been program director of the program of management and leadership for the last uh, eight years. Um, it's a great opportunity. I get a chance to work with students, um, get to mentor um, professionals, actually work with a lot of great colleagues who actually give me a lot of mentoring experience as well, too, and teaching me new things. Um, by experience, especially in terms of, you know, the management leadership stuff, and as well as mentoring, um, I've had some great mentors in my life. I've had um, one who, you know, completely shaped and changed my entire trajectory in my mm-hmm. career. And because of her, you know, I'm here now. So I, you know, one thing she always taught me was to give back and especially with the leadership aspect, you know, everything she taught me about being a leader, you know, now it's time to get a chance to give it back. And that's what a great opportunity I can do, you know, being the head of the program. That is awesome. And, you know, one of the things that I definitely want to share over time with, with if Dr. Walter will come back, right, uh, on our show is he really is an expert on mentoring and has really studied among many things, he's an expert in management and leadership, but one of his passions is definitely mentoring. So he's the most phenomenal resource for um, any kind of program like that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Anytime. I, I will tell you again, as in our introduction, we learned, you know, Dr. Walter and I were brought together as a 
a training program, right, where junior faculty, which was me at the time, were paired up with more senior faculty and sort of learning the job. And I can tell you, um, we had kind of known each other before that, but that was a formal way of us meeting. And I've learned so much from him in our time together since that pairing. And as any good mentoring relationship, you know, between mentor and mentee, I've learned a lot from you as well, too. So it's a really good, you know, symbiotic relationship that, you know, you may have as, you know, from that experience. Definitely. And one that's lasted for, uh, you know, a long time because, you know, that program was only a year. Right. So in formal terms, we were only supposed to be together a year, nine months or whatever it was. It wasn't that long. But look at how much we took off and are still continuing to work together in different capacities, right? Absolutely. So, so again, thank you for joining us today. We do have a little bit of a different um, schedule for the episode um, because Dr. Walter and I had talked about off, you know, you know, off the episode, I had shared a story with him um, in a book that I recently read and we were like, oh my gosh, we got to do a podcast about this. So we wanted to, I wanted to come on and share the story and also get Dr. Walter's thoughts and opinions on as an expert in the field of management and leadership, right? Um, So we're going to be structured a little bit differently, but it's, it's, it's going to be a fun episode. So the story is actually the story of Walt Disney. And um, secretly, Dr. Walter and I are pretty big Disney fans. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a big poster of him in my office about vision. And you can see a picture of the, as he called it, the Florida project, you know, before Walt Disney, right. before Walt Disney World was created there. And it was this all swampland, but there's a hazy image of the castle over it. So you can mm. see him walking over it. And it's just, it's a great image I have about, you know, making your dreams come true. Right. And and I love that picture because I always see it when we meet in your office. And I know we've we've definitely spoken about Walt Disney in terms of, as you said, vision, but mentoring and leadership and all that. So we have a lot of conversation about his life uh, as it relates to our own lives right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So to go back to the story for a second, um, I recently um picked up and i'm a fan of mr jeff barnes or dr jeff barnes he wrote the book the wisdom of walt and i was sharing with dr walter a story that i learned from that book and it was the story of how mickey mouse came to be so let me let me fill our audience in just to make sure we're all on the same page right i'm all for it because i love this story so go for it (laughs) i love hearing the story over and over again it is so good. And when I remember when I told you, you were like, wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> Which is funny because right after we talked about it, it, like popped up in two of my news feeds. It's almost like my phone was listening in on the conversation because the whole story popped up, like two references to it showed up in like news feeds and in Facebook and uh, some Google searches I was doing. So I thought it was pretty cool. Right. So timing is everything, audience. Timing mm-hmm. is everything. So again, I picked up Dr. Jeffrey Barnes's book, The Wisdom of Walt, and I've been reading it because he writes about um, how how Walt Disney came up with Disney or was building Disneyland, but talks about it from a management and leadership perspective, right? And that was sort of what really got me into his book. But he shares a story about how, again, Mickey Mouse came to be. So if you don't know the story of Walt Disney, he actually uh, started his first business in Kansas City, Missouri, and it was a company called Laughagram. So they were doing animations and getting a little bit of success, but very quickly that business also went bankrupt. It was not lucrative. It wasn't successful. So in 1923, Walt Disney left Kansas City, Missouri 
to move to California to be with his brother, Roy. His first business went bankrupt. He was not doing well. And he was in, I believe, his early 20s at that time, right? He gets to California to live with his brother, his brother, Roy. They take him in and they start creating the Disney Brothers Studio. So together, Walt was sort of the visionary and the creator. And Roy was the guy who was going to take keep everything in check and with the finances. So they initially showed some success and they created their first successful character, which was actually Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. So I know I'm not going to get much of a response right now, but has anybody heard of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit? So he gets some success. He um, has a distributor, which is Universal. And he's like, okay, this is this is great. You know, I'm going to be successful. My next my second business is now the key to success, right? So here comes 1928, and Walt takes a trip with his wife, Lily, to New York City. And the purpose was to meet with his distributor, Universal, to get a better contract, right? So he had showed some success with Oswald, and it's like, okay, I need to get more, a better contract for this. Unfortunately for Walt, during that meeting, he not only learned that in his distribution deal, he signed away all of the rights to Oswald. So Walt didn't own Oswald. He created him, but he didn't own him. And while Walt was in New York City, his animators were being uh, recruited away from the of the Disney Brothers Studios to work for Universal. So Walt's in New York. He lost his character and his whole animation team is being sort of hired out from under him. Talk about like distress, right? And Essentially, Walt left the meeting without Oswald and pretty much his staff being hired away. On the way home, he writes a telegram to Roy at the time and he tells him it's everything's going to be okay. Even though he didn't maybe necessarily have that plan. But on the way home on that train ride, that's where he first sketched Mickey Mouse. And that's where our beloved character became came out of this you know really terrible circumstance right the most successful character of all time came out from a loss of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit so because even in that story there's so many lessons that could be taken away I definitely wanted to bring in our expert to get his thoughts on it have a conversation about it because there's so much richness in the story of Walt Disney losing Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and it's actually quite, you know, um, relevant to the times now, too, especially with a lot of businesses struggling, a lot of people seeing failures and hardships right now with, you know, everything going on with, you know, the COVID virus going on that, you know, sometimes out of, you know, the hardships is, you know, when our best creative minds kick in and when our, you know, some of our, our you know, true destinations and true uh, trajectories really get found because of, you know, you kind of clear the slate and new things kind of pop up. So it's kind of really relevant to what's going on in the world right now. Oh, definitely. Like he had to pivot right now. Like much of the world is having to pivot right now. Right now we're pivoting to mostly online formats, right? You yep. and I are both teachers. We're both teaching online, right? Since March 13th. Um, he had to pivot because he lost something. He lost the character that he thought was going to be success, you know, help him to his success. Mm-hmm. So one of the things like when I read this for the first time and I was started blown away, you know, that I kind of keep thinking in my head is sometimes you have to lose an Oswald to gain a Mickey Mouse. Right. 
And I just kind of even th- think about the loss in that part, right? Because when you, you've created something and you kind of own it, but what happens if you don't have it anymore, right? So where we might see that today is, okay, we've both been grad students. You know, how many times has someone taken credit for your work or something like that, right? Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, how many times do you put hours and hours into something and, you know, someone doesn't recognize, you not even take your credit, but don't even get recognized for the work that you do. We've both been in those type of situations. This is true, right? So sometimes you could lose something because maybe you didn't foresee it or maybe you didn't realize someone is kind of taking the credit um, behind your back or really sometimes in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) An enemy will stab you in the back. A friend will stab you in the front, you know? (laughs) Oh, geez. Oh, boy. I mean, my mentor was Sicilian. What can I say? (laughs) <laughs> so I could, I could see how that could happen yep. sometimes right yep so so one of the one of the lessons I took away is sort of how you know loss while it could be terrible at the time right how much we could learn and grow from it apps um I mean absolutely um I mean loss itself I mean shakes you down to your core depending i mean even the level of loss what is i mean yes for especially for walt i mean it was you know it was oswald which is a cartoon character which is a you know ink on a piece of paper but to him it was you know almost personal it was almost like his first child type thing and to lose that there's a grieving process in that and you know we've all nowadays in this world we've all lost you know something that's very precious to us, whether it's, you know, work or family members or loved ones, uh, we've all been there. And, you know, when you lose something like that, it shakes you to the core. But sometimes when you shake something to the core, it kind of brings you down to the things that, you know, it really opens up your mind and opens up things and gives you a cha- chance to build from there. You know, cause, you know, once you hit rock bottom, the only place to go is up. Mm-hmm. That is true. Right. So, you know, from loss, we could sometimes have our and, and you know, a lot of the CEOs that I followed or people who have gained so much success, they often talk about how many times they failed or um, I know failure could be seen as, you know, loaded or, or a scary thing. Um, but also how many times that they weren't successful or told they weren't good enough, but they actually found a way to make themselves successful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, sometimes the best determination, especially for me, is when someone tells me I can't do something. The first thing I'll say is, OK, watch me do it. So that's not going to be a, you know, <laughs> watch me do it. That's not a big thing. You know, I will make it happen just because you told me I can't yeah. happen. So I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it. I mean, especially I remember in my undergraduate year, I wanted to graduate a little bit early. And I was talking to the dean at my school and I said, I want to graduate early. I want to double the classes and get out of here. And she's like, you know. No one can do that. No one's ever been able to do it. I'm like, okay, then I'll be the first. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And were you the first? Uh, yeah, I got that. I, you know, I doubled the classes I needed to get done. And I walked in the, you know, when I said I had all A's and I walked in, I go, there you go. And I go, now you're going to sign off on me graduating. And she just started laughing. She goes, I love your determination. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so a lot of that also goes to, you know, with loss can also come resilience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of it kind of hardens you a little bit, but as long as you you know make sure that the the hardened part doesn't harden you know the parts of you that keep your passion going. You know, you don't want to be completely desensitized to everything, but you know the resilience part and that that I guess force field around you that helps you deflect some of the things around you know the negativity. It's important to have. So kind of like 
making sure you don't pay attention to just people are mean for no reason versus taking in the feedback and be like, okay, this is my pivot. This is how I'm going to move forward. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I've had some, you know, friends who specifically say that, you know, it wasn't the person who says, I got your back where you can do this, but it's the person who says, you know, you'll never be able to do this. And they hear that in their head, even it's been years later and they've already overcome that one thing that person said they couldn't do just because they said they couldn't do it. That's the driving momentum in everything they do since that point. Mm. Mm, to never either to never hear it again or to just prove that person sort of wrong sometimes that could be the best motivator and sometimes you know every you know even as we're a kid you know we're you know as growing up people tell you we can't do something and even it's 20 30 40 years later um you know you're still trying to prove that person wrong yeah and that's the you know the driving you know motivator inside of ourselves and you know even though it's you know years later something that person told you when you're eight years old is going to be the thing that keeps you going when you're 40 or 50 years old. Yeah. How much, how much of this is significant to our lives. Right. Um, I like telling this story, even though my mother doesn't even remember this. Right. So it's not, it's not a resilient story by any means, but I remember being like eight years old and walking out of church with my mom and I must've said something to her, like, you know, I want a boyfriend or something. Right. Like that's just what it is. Right. And my mom, without thinking, looked at me and she's like, when you when you're going to be a doctor, you could have a boyfriend. Right. Just a little mother daughter conversation. And you know what happened? I didn't meet my husband (laughs) until I was almost a doctor. (laughs) It's not to say I didn't date or anything like that, but it's just I didn't have like, you know, a serious relationship. So as silly as and this isn't about management or leadership, but how sometimes the, the messages were here really stick with us as we grow it but that i mean it really is a management and leadership thing because the things that managers and leaders say you know inadvertently or purposely stick in people's heads i mean you know it could be just a side conversation of something people do or you know that moment in an office during a developmental meeting you know um in professional development someone says something that just really connects with someone but it also says something, you know, you could just make an offshoot conversation walking down the hallway with somebody and not realize that you can rip the rug out from underneath them or, you know, motivate them as well, too. So, I mean, a lot of things that leaders and managers need to think about is what they're saying and how they're saying and also the people around them, because without knowing it, you can actually feel the fire or, you know, sometimes throw a wet blanket on them as well, too. I didn't think of it that way. You're right. How much of the things that we're saying have an have an influence on on individuals absolutely i mean um and we might not think we're having an impact on what someone's you know what we're saying to someone but you know years later you know that person could say you know it's because of what you did or what you said that you know made me who i am you know who i am and you realize oh you know i've had a couple of those moments you know on both sides of the fence and realizing that you know whoever thought that one moment would have been that turning point for you um and, you know, so it makes you very mindful as a manager or a leader, um, you know, what you say and how you act around other people. I mean, that's the first thing is, that's what my students always talk about. As a manager, you know, you're a leader. Absolutely. But, you know, the other part is, though, are, you know, people say, are all leaders managers and all managers leaders? They're not. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it's the person, you know, in the background that is, you know, the driving force for people and not the person out in the, you know, front of the army or front of the organization it's the person behind the scenes that you know keeps the momentum going keeps the passion going 
Right. So this conversation of um, do you need a title to be considered a leader? Right. Right. I mean, my mentor told me this story once. Um, it was one of the things my mentor, uh, Grace, she was actually um, head of uh, housing at my my uh, undergraduate and um, she trained all the resident assistants. So, so for those who don't know on uh, the higher ed aspect, uh, resident assistants are the student workers who kind of help run the dormitories or the residence halls um, on college campuses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the first stories she ever told us when we we're talking about, you know, um, what it is to be a leader, she was talking about this fortune 500 company that um, people know about. And she didn't really give a name because she didn't want to throw anyone under the bus. But she talked about um, right. this old CEO was retiring. He built the company and made it what it was. And as he, you know, he was retiring, he was going to hand it off to one of his senior vice presidents from, you know, a, a different region. So the senior vice president comes in, he becomes the CEO. You know, the first day he comes in, the CEO is there and he says, you know, here's my office. Here's everything you need to know. Here's my card. I'm retiring. I'm going to enjoy my life on a beach, relax. But if you ever get jammed up, here's my card, call me, I, I will be here for you. I'll always help you. And, you know, the mm -hmm. new CEO was like, okay, great, but I got this, you know, being young, being, you know, confident, mm -hmm. a little bit like, I got this, because you don't want to tell the person who's handing you the keys of the kingdom that I'm scared as all hell. <laughs> so, <Of course. laughs> so the new the old CEO left, the new CEO comes in, he starts meeting with people, starts going around things, but being, you know, new in his position, he's pulling late nights, all nighters, and, you know, spending time in the office, really trying to get what it's like to be in that role. And one night, it was a Friday night, he was in there and he's working and, you know, uh, his admins, he told his admin to go home early because, you know, you know, don't need to stay late because I'm staying late. He's sending other people in. At one point, even the janitor was in there coming in and custodial worker coming in and cleaning up his office. And the custodial worker's like, how you doing, sir? How you doing the new day? You know, being this job. And the guy was like, that's great. You know, things are going good. I'm enjoying my role. And the, you know, custodial worker sat down. He's like, I don't have to actually have a really lot of time to talk right now, but you know, we can get, you know, talk at a different time. That'd be great, but I'm kind of busy right now. So, you know, a custodial worker understood and, you know, left and he's still putting in hours and hours and, you know, now it's Saturday. He's still there. Sunday, he's still there. And we, a couple of weeks go mm -hmm. by and as he's, you know, working on things, you know, a couple of his, um, other new vice presidents are coming in saying, we're hearing there's some concerns that, you know, you don't like the direction where the company is going from the old vice president, the old CEO. So you're going to change things. And he was like, mm. um, I didn't say that. And he goes, well, you know, that's what we heard. So we just want to make sure like, you know, everything is the same thing's going to change. No, 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 no. I'm keeping it fine. And then a couple more weeks go down the line. And then, you know, there's talk of, you know, budgetary issues and, you know, he has, he's going to make some new mm -hmm. changes. And he's like, I didn't say anything. I don't know what's going on. Goes on. And now at this point, you know, admin staff are hearing that there might be layoffs or they're going to start trimming the fat a little bit so they can make more money and save money. And, you know, oh, people boy. are starting to like, you know, get really nervous. Well, the part, you know, as things mm -hmm. go on, a couple more months go on. Now he's, you know, you know, factories are being talked about. Like we heard that, you know, production slowing down. So there's talk about shutting down factories. Uh, he's like, I didn't do that. The problem is, though, because all the talk's happening, guess what's really happening? People are starting jumping ship. Things are moving. So now, you know, production is slowing mm -hmm. down. You know, factories are in trouble. So now, you know, it's the point where he's looking at the budget and he's losing money. The stocks are going down. Um, shareholders are calling mm -hmm. him. That You know, the board of trustees and directors are calling him saying, we're really concerned because things are going downhill. And, you're, you know, you're, you're initially talking about rumors of layoffs. And now we actually have to do layoffs and, you know, fire people because we don't mm -hmm. have that. So 
being this guy, he's one night, he's Friday night, he's freaking out. He's in his office. He looks down on you know his desk, and there's the business card from the old CEO. So he calls him. He goes, he goes, hey, and the old CEO goes, what are you doing to my company? And he's like, mm. I'm in trouble. I need you. And he goes, okay, I'll be there tomorrow night. I'll bring some food. We'll sit down and we'll talk. He's like, okay. So sure. he comes in. He's going through all the books with the old CEO, and the old CEO goes, you're doing everything right. I don't know what's going on. He goes. You know, you're doing everything you should be doing, but yet all this turmoil is going on. And, and, you know, there's rumors of all these things happening, but they are actually turning into being truth. They said rumors. And I'll see right. the new CEO is like, I don't know. I'm doing everything I learned in school, everything you've taught me, everything my other mentors taught me. And this old CEO goes, so what does George say? And the new CEO goes, mm. who's George? He goes, the custodial worker. I mean, he goes, what do you mean? Every Friday night, I would buy him a, you know, we would buy a couple of pizzas and a couple of beers and we would sit down and he would tell me the gossip of what's going on in the building. So I have an idea what's going on. You know, the admins wow. are upset about this. You know, you know, the facility guys are stressed about this. Or when he's in a board meeting, cleaning up a room, he would overhear conversations. He would give me all the dirt of what's going on. And, <laughs> and the new CEO goes, really? He goes, yeah. Oh. And he realized the first weekend he was there, George came in and he was talking to him and he kind of kicked him out. What he didn't know was George felt shunned at this point. Uh, so he would actually, you know, so when the admins knew that he had the ear of the CEO, they assumed that he had the ear of the new CEO. So then he was a little upset that and miffed that he was shunned. So he would tell the admins, you know, oh, I heard him talking on the phone. He's going to start sh shutting down this plant or, oh, there's budget crisis is going on. So he was actually yeah. sabotaging. So when you look at it, you know, a, a, a custodial worker wow. could actually shut down a Fortune 500 company because in a way he was a leader because people knew that he had the ear of other people and he had the information. So with that, you know, he wasn't a manager, but in a lot of ways he was a leader because people looked up to him. So the first thing that this new CEO right. did was call in George that weekend and pull in a pizza and says, okay, I did this wrong. So let's, let's refix things. And, you know, within a few months, wow. things got back on track. But it's one of those things that, you know, A, as a manager and leader, you got to understand who the people you are and that not one person is better than the other. But the other part is, you know, mm. leaders aren't the people always manage. It's the people who have the ears and people other people trust. Wow. Wow. That, that is such a great story. I'm just like still taking that all in. Thank you for sharing it. No problem. So it, it goes back to like influence and trust, right? So you don't necessarily need a title. Uh, you know, how many times do we look at titles, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we're looking at titles and we think that person knows X, Y, and Z or does X, Y, and Z when really it's, it's again, who you surround yourself with, right? A, a good, a good leader doesn't have all the answers. A good leader has the people that have the answers and they have the good resources. I mean, this is my dorky side. Exactly. This is my dorky side coming out. But if you look like, for instance, uh, <laughs> Captain Kirk from Star Trek, it's a good thing. Like he's knowledgeable. He knows good things about leadership. But if you ask him to explain how the enterprise, the spaceship worked, he would not have no clue, but he has the right people. That's why he has Scotty. So when something breaks, he calls mm -hmm. Scotty and says, I need you to fix this. Scotty fixes it. So, you know, he, as a leader, he delegates. He has the right people in the right positions. He doesn't try to do it all himself. And he doesn't have all the answers. So he mm -hmm. can go, I don't know what to do, Scotty. And then Scotty tells him what he needs to do. And same thing with Spock. And same thing, you know, uh, with the horror, with communications. So being a good leader is just surrounding yourself with a strong team of people who are skilled in the areas that they know about, but also, you mm -hmm. know, as a leader, trusting them. So, you know, there's a level, 
every good leader has a level of narcissism, a little bit level of controlness, because that's what a leadership is. But um, the important part is letting go and trusting the people around you and knowing that, you know, you're surrounding yourself. You don't want to surround yourself with yes, people that think you are a God and you know everything because that's, we're human, mm. we're fallible. And you want to have, you know, right. the right people around the right positions that you can trust. And I mean, especially the, you know, look around Absolutely. with Walt and his brother, Roy, Walt was a good creator, but Roy was the good businessman and he made things happen. So, right. I mean, you know, Walt knew what he was right. good at. He's good at making these creative Create mm-hmm. things, you know. If you look like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, Steve was great at Steve Jobs was really good at you know shaking hands, yeah. kissing babies, and making the business great. But Wozniak was the technician that made things happen. That was not Steve Jobs's mm-hmm. thing, but he knew he needed one to the other to make things happen. Right. So it's like also how important it is for collaborations and working in a team, right? So a lot of the the examples you gave are like two two people teams, but also you need a team to make something happen, right? We can't all do it ourselves is what I'm trying nope. to say, right? No, I mean, because that, or we're not, you, you can't do it all yourself. Sorry. I mean, when you look at it as a team, like if you rely on one person to always do that position, eventually that person's going to move on or due to age, that person eventually will pass on. Um, so, you know, if that, right. if it like Apple's a great example of this, Steve Jobs was the heart and soul and passion of Apple. When he passed on, mm-hmm. Tim Cook is a good leader and he knows the stuff and he was mentored under Steve Jobs for years. But if you look at, um, you know, the annual things of what Apple does unveiling of new technology, when Steve Jobs took the stage, it was like a rock concert. People were applauding. There's flashes of mm-hmm. lights. He had the audience in his palm of his hand. When Tim Cook got on there, it was a completely different vibe and a feel. And with that, you know, because mm-hmm. the entire company put this stock of, you know, this is Steve Jobs's company. When he passed on, if you notice that Apple really hasn't innovated a lot since he has passed away, mm. it's it's maintaining, it's treading yeah. water, but the drive, the passion, the innovation that Steve Jobs was known for isn't there anymore. Right. It hasn't been like a totally new product or a revolutionary new mm-hmm. way of doing it. Absolutely. Right. It's been like, you know, a new feature on an iPhone or a bigger or smaller <laughs> iPad, depending on what year we're talking It's still about, an right? iPad. It's still um, an iPhone. Like the last big thing that Jobs came out was, you know, the Apple Watch. And, that, you know, he was working on it right when he, he died. That I'm wearing yeah. right now. And that, have there's yeah. any has there been anything else innovative? Of, there's a new, you know, fancier iWatch or your iWatch now connects to your, you know, your iPhone. But other than that, it's the same thing, just, you know, a little tweak, a different color, a little bit different screen size, but nothing revolutionary like he did. Like he revolutionized the music industry and the movie industry with iTunes and downloadable content and, you know, streaming services. I mean, you don't have that innovation happening now the way things are. True. So, you know, and one of the things I'm hearing in, in this discussion is how passionate. Yes. So if, if you, if you are a business owner or uh, an academic, anything, right? You have to, especially teaching, I would say, we lead a classroom, right? So if we're going to be dry and we're not exciting, the students are like, okay, three hours. Why am I stuck with him <laughs> or her, right? But when, when you're passionate about the topic, they're like, oh, where did three hours go? That's how I want people leaving my classroom. You don't want to be, I know, and this is no dig to Ben Stein, but when his character portrayal in Ferris Bueller as a teacher, when he was, you know, that jaw boring, you know, talking about political things, 
you could just see the kids look in their eyes like every minute felt like three hours. And like, you know, if you believe and you're passionate about what you're talking about, like you said, when the students leave, they realize I want to stay longer or wow, that three hours felt like 20 minutes. Mm. You know, I can't wait for the next class. And it's because you believe in it and you're excited about it. Right. And, you know, looking back at the story of Walt, right? Like, I mean, first of all, his first company went bankrupt, right? So he, he was, he failed before he even really mm-hmm. got known, right? Then he's facing a second time where he could, he could have potentially gone bankrupt and we would not have Walt Disney, you know, world and studios and everything that we have today. But he was still passionate about animation at that time. You know, we know he eventually went on, you know, to building parks and doing other things. But at that time, animation was his thing. He believed in his own abilities to create. And that passion showed. It came became one of the largest corporations in the world. They pretty <laughs> much know? own everything now at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to it's hard to think of what they wouldn't own, right? If we're looking at it in a modern lens. But imagine if Walt walked away from that that uh meeting he's like well universal defeated me i lost oswald oh well i tried yep i mean uh going back to my dorkiness again but i mean when i was a teenager i was like you know i came up against a lot of adversity and a lot of things and i remember watching an episode uh, a movie star trek to the wrath of khan and kirk was there and he was his nemesis was kicking his butt left and right and at one point he outsmarted him and someone asked him like, why? He goes, well, I don't believe in a no-win scenario. I don't like to lose. And that's always stuck with me that mm. there's always a way. You can always find another way to add or something. Mm-hmm. If A and B doesn't work, there's plenty of other letters left in the alphabet. That is a great way. I like that. If A and B doesn't work, there's plenty of other letters mm-hmm. in the alphabet. That Wow, that is great. Thank you for sharing that. So, I mean... Right. Passion is contagious. And I also think like, not only to that, but like, to make the other letters of the alphabet work, you have to have belief in your own abilities too. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't believe in yourself, no one's going to believe in you. You have to, that's I mean, a good part of any good leader is to believe in yourself that you may not have the answers, but you can get through something. Um, you know, like, you were talking about with Walt and Roy, you know, when he lost Oswald and, you know, Universal was pretty much poaching his, you know, animation staff. He says, it's going to be okay. He had no idea what that vision was, but part of his, his idea is we're going to get through this. And just having that rudder of, uh-huh. I don't know how we're going to get through this storm, but we're going to get through this storm. You know, that's what a good leader is because they will find a way. They're passionate about just solving the problem and getting through it. They don't have all the answers, but they're passionate about getting mm-hmm. through that. That is so true. That is so true. And if you if you read the rest of Dr. Barnes's book of the wisdom of Walt, you know, you see that kind of at least with Walt coming in when he has to build Disneyland or not has to. He wanted to build Disneyland. Right. But if you really read about the opening day of Disneyland, it was a disaster. You know, he didn't have toilets installed and fountains didn't work. And um, the cement, the concrete wasn't uh, stable enough. Women's shoes were getting stuck in the <laughs> concrete right so you know the happiest place on earth actually started out with one of the worst days yep. imaginable right so having that passion to sort of problem solve right have being a good problem solver again you don't have to have all the answers and that is so whether we're talking about 
reaching for your dreams or being a good leader that's just applicable to everyday life how are you gonna i mean because if you get derailed by one simple thing or one small thing it's going to be hard to you know to get to your dreams because there are so many things out there that are tripping us up pulling the rugs out from us i mean there's so many things out there that want us to fail versus wanting us to succeed that you know you have to think be creative and think of ways to get around those you know you you got to find different ways. You know, if you can't climb over the mountain, you got to find a different way through it or under it or around it. That's what one of my mentors says. If you can't get to the top of the mountain, yep. you can get around it. So uh, I definitely, um, well, I think being in grad school, that also uh, you have to problem solve on a daily basis when you're in. That. Absolutely. I mean, especially in between, you know, in grad school, I mean, juggling work and grad school and then, you know, with family obligations and then, you know, trying to get all that stuff done. And then especially, you know, you and me, when, especially when, you know, working on our dissertations and doctorates, we had a, you know, dissertation mentor as well, too, that, you know, made or break, you know, if it went through. And so it wasn't even just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, checking boxes but you know if you believed in what you're talking about and your research you had to sell it to that person if they believed in it they were behind you if they didn't believe you then you're sunk right that, that's a great that's a great example because for my topic it was not like totally out there but it wasn't like popular at the time you know but I would just show that I was passionate about studying it that this was a population um I looked at uh first generation I I looked at first generation Polish immigrants and how they chose college in the United States. Right. So, you know, Polish immigrants, they're not necessarily on education's radar right now. Right. As a group that's to be studied. But but when I made the argument that we need to study them, that they are significant, even in the state of Connecticut, my advice is like, (laughs) okay, what do you need? (laughs) You know, how are we going to do this? It wasn't a hey, why don't you go look back and revisit? She's like, okay, how are we going to do this? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, I mean, I remember we working with my dissertation mentor. Mine, I my uh, my dissertation research was on uh, working with virtual uh, remote workers. You know, in a uh, focused on a call center environment, but a lot of it focused on being remote workers working from home, trying to balance things out. But how to be a leader to those type of individuals? And you know, his attitude was, you know, mm. you know like he believed in it, but his thing was, you know, not everyone's going to be working from home. The entire world's not going to be working from home on a day to day basis. Now look at the world we're in. <laughs> it's well, kind of like, you know, it, it worked out, you know, in right. terms of thing is like now my research is actually a living, breathing thing now that, you know, three or four years later, it's actually happening. Right. Right. And how many people, you know, I, I was going to say, and I had to stop myself. Sorry for that pause. Um, I had to stop myself because I was going to say not a lot of people get to live out mm-hmm. their dissertations. Right. And then I stopped myself because I'm like, wait a minute. I just. If I say that, that's contradictory because if you care about it, and we could think of another example that will be nameless um, at this point that has really influenced institutions, or if you live if you live it, you can make it become a reality. Obviously, you didn't um, choose to have a, a pandemic happen, right? But think about the ways your dissertation is still applicable in terms of leading remote teams. Absolutely. I mean, and which leadership styles work, how to get people motivated, because especially when you're working from home, and especially when you're juggling family obligations, work obligations, you know, what's best leadership style? You know, are you going to be like, my research focused on, you know, uh, transformational leadership, which is more like the mentoring aspect, transactional leadership, which is, you know, um, reward or, you know, 
penalty aspect. So we can give you more cash or, you know, you lose your job if you don't do this. And then the laissez-faire, which is hands off. And a lot of, you know, especially in this environment, people are like, I'm too busy. I'm going to just trust my remote teams and hands off. People get left with their own devices, Mm -hmm. you know, and you do the transaction aspect of, you know, I need your help. I'm going to throw more money at the problem. There's a level of point that only it balances out, but there's another point when it just doesn't work anymore. Cause when you have the friends, my boat, I have two seven-year-olds looking at me, right. You know, going, Hey dad, let's go play with me. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so here's a couple extra hundred dollars or I could spend some time with my kid. Who's going to win that battle. You know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. such a r- realistic thing now, but I mean, even if you look, you know, your research as well, as well too, I mean, it's living and breathing because you believe in it and look at all the things that you've made happen because of your research. I mean, You've talked to the president of Poland based on your research. I mean, think about, yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, did. think yeah, about I that. I mean, in terms of because you were so <laughs> passionate, you believed in it, it's just infectious and it, it just carries on. I mean, just based on your research alone, we were able to partner with Goodwin at the time and have, you know, have, you know, especially with, you know, New Britain being a big manufacturing hub in Connecticut, we were able to have, you know, you know, the Polish festival and have Goodwin have a whole display of manufacturing right there. Because, you know, with that part. Right. I'm glad you even brought that up because, you know, even to talk about like your goals and dreams, like my goal was to give a voice to a population that is Mm -hmm. somewhat forgotten. Right. Whether we're talking about politics or education or a couple of things like Polish, you know, immigration isn't like a big radar uh, on the radar kind of thing. Right. But when I wrote my dissertation, I never imagine partnering with a manufacturing program to be at a festival and talk about college like I never pictured that and that was a happy result of what had happened absolutely because I mean when you think about it I mean especially in the Connecticut aspect I mean the the Polish community was very big in the manufacturing world back when manufacturing was huge in the United States and you know now that the the pendulum switch Mm -hmm. swinging back now to bring manufacturing back I mean you have an untapped resource of, you know, tons of skilled workers who, you know, they may have, you know, aged out in terms of they're retired now, but their knowledge and skills are there that you can mentor a whole new generation based on those things. I mean, you know, the skill, the trade to be able to, Mm -hmm. you know, tell when a machine's not working just by hearing it versus, you know, based on, you know, what a manual Mm -hmm. says, you know, as you know, as I tell Mm -hmm. some of the students in my, you know, the manufacturing students in my classes, like, how many people turn a car on and just by how the car starts or how it vibrates in the steering wheel, you know that something's wrong. And they're all like, oh, yeah, I know my car very well. I mean, that just comes from mentoring. Someone can teach mm. you those type of things. It takes time. But, I mean, especially like your, the demographic that you were working with for your research, it's huge for that because they're an untapped resource that can, you know, hugely help bring manufacturing back. Certainly. And especially in the area that we live, as you're saying, you know, Connecticut's a huge manufacturing mm-hmm. state. You know, and one of the things that we've experienced in the economy is that uh, people who have been working in the field are starting to retire. My parents being part of that group. So (laughs) that's my background. Right. Um, But there's not a lot of new people in our age range that are coming in. Right. My mom has often told me, Lisa, I can't retire. Not because I, I can't like she can't financially do it. She's like, there's no one ready to take my job. I do something so unique and specific with tubes. No one knows how to do it. So who's going to take my place? Right. And, you know, there are just some things a machine or a robot can't do. You need that human element to it. And you need someone right. to pass that knowledge on. I mean, um, 
when I've worked with uh, manufacturing companies, uh, just because one of the things I've done at Goodwin is develop a whole mentoring workshops and mentoring trainings for their in, in the management leadership program, but also in the community education program, uh, men, uh, mentoring workshops. And mm-hmm. the term that a lot of the manufacturing people use in honor honor advisory boards when we're developing this stuff was called tribal knowledge. And that's the big part of it. You know, it's yeah. how they do it specifically in that company. So like your mom and how she did what she does, it's unique to that particular company and that particular asset. And it might be different in a different company, but just like, you know, Native Americans and how each tribe had their own rituals and routines, the same thing is true in terms of companies and manufacturers. So it's how you're going to impart that knowledge, just like, you know, the medicine doctor would share their specific skills and rituals and, you know, potions down the line to only specific number of people. The same thing needs to happen. Or, you know, if that happens, that entire years of knowledge, that entire tribal experience is gone and extinct and you know that your mom has a great point if she retires it's gone with her all right and and one of the examples what you made me think about too is you know i think a lot of times when i hear this from people that i've started to mentor right um i think sometimes people don't remember that what they can do is unique right and that not everyone could do what they do um and that has to be Mm -hmm. sort of pointed out right so and if you don't embrace that and do it and teach it to someone else that could be lost absolutely i mean there's you know the knowledge that you've gained over your life and your experiences is unique to you and your perspective to you and being you know once if you don't share that you can't impart it to somebody else and add on to you know the elements of things like i've done martial arts for years um various different styles but mm-hmm. you can trace the lineage of how things happen but you know based on your style based on who your master was and how you know everyone takes their knowledge and adds their own little flavor mm-hmm. and spin to it and you can almost like a family tree you can go back down the mm-hmm. line based on how something is done you can determine oh that's so-and-so who taught that and same thing same thing mm-hmm. in you know that's like in terms of manufacturing you know someone looks at how your mom learned how to do what she does and say, Oh, that must've been by so-and-so style. And then by that person learned it from this style. I mean, just with my mentor, right. there's something I was uh, at a conference and um, I, um, this person I was talking to didn't know that I was trained under my mentor, Grace. And I said something and she goes, what oh. did you say? And I said, it, I said something and I said it again. She goes, Oh, you're one of Grace's uh, mentees. I'm like, how'd you know that? She goes, only she says it that way. And, 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 but, but she, you know, oh. no, she had no recollection. She had no idea what school I went to or anything else like that. But just by the way I said something and did something, she could see the t- who my teacher was. And that's very important, especially in training those stuff as well, too. I mean, like, for instance, using Walt, you know, drawing Mickey Mouse, he had a certain way of drawing Mickey Mouse, you know. It, you know, he can train somebody mm-hmm. else to do it. Some Someone else puts their own little flavor. I mean, you look at Steamboat Willie versus the way Mickey Mouse looks like now. There's a complete difference to it, you know, and it, it, evolution over time. But, mm-hmm. you know, you can still see there's certain things about, you know, Mickey Mouse now that st- goes back to Steamboat Willie because you can say that's, you know, Walt's kid, you know, just based by how the style of it's there. Right. Like there's certain features of the face and the nose and the ears that are very similar but he's kind of been a little and, bit more refined, and people right? like that Over consistency time. of that little thing like if you you know if you look at comic book superheroes and you know you know there's a certain way comic books 
hero looks like in the comic book and when it comes out to a movie and someone puts their own little spin on the suit or the outfit and people get upset about it because it's not what they're used to it's not what they've grown accustomed to and they're passionate about and sometimes change is good and sometimes the improvements are better but you know people still like to be able to say you know that's you know there's the core the originality of it right and it and it this this part reminded me i've watched the the imagineers documentary on disney plus right and in it someone was talking about because they were talking about Mm -hmm. how they built all the parks around the world right um so this is way after walt's time at this point right and someone had asked this imagineer well what is really the park what does the park really do for people right like why are we doing this right and the imagineer responded we're providing consistency right we're providing that kind of everything's gonna be okay right because everything still looks the same everything is the way that it should be right so we're providing like a sense of it's going to be okay right so to your point sometimes change is good and it helps us grow but sometimes we need what's familiar to make to like ground absolutely i mean that's the big part having that sense of grounding the stability inside you helps gives you a, a little bit of a foundation because you know it's hard to jump high when the foundation underneath you is kind of shaky if it's there's a little bit of stability to it it's easier to jump up and start mm-hmm. climbing your way up to where you want to go and that's the core of like why back to like anything why are you doing something right so you need to have that core wisdom that core foundation of why are you doing whatever right um, I know we talked about our dissertations, but every dissertation student <laughs> needs to know their why because to go through all of that, like there, I as a funny anecdote, I every October I threatened I would quit. Every October I was like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not going back, I'm not going back. Right? I did it for four years straight. I was like, it was just my thing. I was done with it. I, I finished, obviously, right? But. If I didn't know why I was doing it, I would have walked out. Absolutely. And I mean, I think every person going through, whether it's their, in their master's degree, their thesis, or even, you know, undergraduate, their senior year after being in school for four years, or even their dissertation, you know, in the doctorate level, I mean, you need that one thing to keep you going. I mean, especially with me, like, I know I, you know, I enjoy learning. I enjoy academics. I enjoy, you know, the research I did on the leadership aspect with, you know, you know, virtual in the virtual world type aspect. But, you know, the one thing that kept me going why I did it was, you know, my, you know, my son, Ryan, he was like, you know, at the time he was very young at the time, but when I was, you know, working on things, you know, I'd be like, I just want to quit just like you, you know, I was like, you know, like I'm done with it. My dissertation mentor was a bear as you remember. Um, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, I would have this little kid walk up to me and, you know, he said, it's going to be okay, dad. But for me, it was just looking at him saying, you know, it's like, if I Aww. quit now, what am I teaching him? What am I mentoring him by saying, I'm going to let things get the best of me as well, too, because I'm doing this for a better life. At the time I was single, you know, as a single dad with him, you know, but, you know, I'm trying to provide a better life for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, I can't quit now because, you know, I have him to worry about. So, you know, that, that was my why. So it was, yes, my mm-hmm. research was pa- passion of mine, but at the end of the day, he was my why. Right. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And Ryan is adorable. And now I, I have Ryan, Ryan. now I have Noah and now um, I have, you know, you know, my spouse, Jen, which is, you know, you know, th- those are my big whys right there. I mean, you know, why we do things is like, I have a whole family when it was just me and Ryan, but now it's a whole, you know, I have a whole element of things. So it's like, looking at things where I have Brian and Noah now. So 
what am I teaching them in terms of how I handle work or, you know, they can hear me on the phone now, especially when I'm working with, you know, my colleagues or students. It's not like I'm one-to-one in the office, like you meet you and me would meet in my office alone. We would have these conversations, but now I have, you know, a seven, eight year old running behind, you know, in that room, you know, in the house, they're hearing me having these conversations. So I have to be also be mindful of how I'm saying, because Mm -hmm. a lot of what mentoring is, is what you're picking up on the side, not just, you know, overtly looking at your indirect stuff or what you're hearing as well too. I mean, my mentor used to have me just sit in her office during the day and I'd just do my homework in my undergraduate. I would sit in her office, do my homework. But when she's making phone calls, dealing with students, dealing with parents, um, you know, dealing with colleagues, at the end of the day, we would Mm. go out to dinner, her and I, and she would be like, okay, so tell me what do you think about this situation? How did I handle this situation? And I would look at her and go, how do you know? I, how do you know I even know about mm-hmm. it? She goes, I know you. You were paying attention to everything going on. Even though you were doing your homework, you were paying attention. So let's talk about it. And, you know, that's a big <laughs> part of mentoring, you know, is just observing. So we have to be mindful of that stuff. Right. And uh, again, thank you for sharing your dissertation journey and stuff because we had very different ones, right? So you were a single dad when you were going through your dissertation. I was, when I started, I was, you know, single in every definition, right? No, no children, no spouse, nothing, right? I was <laughs> living at my parents' house at that time to admit, right? Uh, late twenties, living with my parents because I was broke. It the was tr- true thing Sometimes, of anyone working uh, on their dissertation but, being broke I, and you know struggling. Yes, I, yep. <laughs> this is true. But when I went to go do my taxes le- that year, the accountant looked at me and said, "I'm not charging <laughs> you this year" because she felt bad. It was a pity, no charge. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, where I ended is very different, right? So, like, my why going into a dissertation was, you know, I wanted to sort of be the first in my community to do this. I wanted to tell people stories, you know. It was my own goal. I wanted to go as high as I could, right? Um, and the least of that began and the least of that ended was different. I had now a nephew at the end, right? Then he was still a boyfriend at that time. He wasn't a spouse even when I graduated, right? So how many things changed? And my goal of wanting to get the highest degree I can turned into, okay, I want to show my nephew that what it's like. I want him to have an aunt that's like, oh, I don't know. My aunt went somewhere here. She talked to someone here. I don't know. She does a lot of things, but whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I want that to be normal for him. You know, I want that to be a normal thing. Like, yeah, my aunt travels. Yeah, she makes these presentations. Yeah. For me growing up, that would have been like, wow, who is this person? You know, we didn't have sort of that background growing up, right? That That's a whole podcast. I mean, we started talking about, look at how much we started talking about Walt <laughs> and we went into Apple and uh, Star Trek and all these other things because, you know, and that was kind of the original point of the, the idea for this episode, how one person's story really has so many themes within it and how it's. Um, it translates in other places, right? Because we could use Walt's story and talk about Apple. Mm-hmm. Apple's a company everybody knows nowadays, you know, much like obviously the Disney company, but very similar themes are within it, right? So to be successful or to have these goals, there are just certain things that you have to do. Yeah, and I mean, down the line, I mean, look at how much like Apple and now Disney collaborate. You have Pixar. I mean, you know, being able to collaborate together you know, Apple helped, you know, Steve Jobs, when he had was on the board of Pixar, helped make, you know, Walt's some of his visions come to reality just by, you know, doing that. So, I mean, you, you know, sometimes when you spark somebody else's passion with your own passion, it comes back to you tenfold later on. And, you know, it kind of helps you out in the long run, too. That's true. You never you also sometimes never know what Absolutely. you're starting when you go for your dreams. You don't know how many 
you don't know how many other people's dreams are going to make happen in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what inspires me. I mean, me there, a lot. there was a lot of times when, like, you know, you would come to me for you advice know, because... as, you know, your mentor. But at the end of the day, watching you and going through your dissertation, you're, you know, how you kept, you know, you know, stoic and going through everything you wanted to do and achieving your dreams kept me going because if she can do it, I can do it, you know. And you know, so I learned a lot from you as much as, you know, you came from here for advice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because of that relationship you and me had, I mean, a lot of ways I've made through difficult times is just also watching how you did it. No, thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, when it came to my dissertation, like specifically, I did, I finished it in like eight months. So audience, like most people take a year and a half, two years to do it. Like, that's just that. I finished it with eight <laughs> months. I was like, I am doing this. I don't care. I'm out. I'm so done. Um, so that wasn't an easy feat though. Like that wasn't easy. It's easy to say now. And interesting enough, Dr. Walter, we are recording this episode. On the oh, I remember that day. Yes. <laughs> it was full circle three years ago. So it is time. It is really is. In life audience. I got some key takeaways from, from this talk. A passion is contagious. Leaders are everywhere. It could be the person with the title or it could be the custodian mm-hmm. of a company from the story that you shared. Belief in your own abilities and problem solve and make find a way to make it happen. Remember, I think I think that the key line of this this whole podcast is if A and B don't work, there's plenty there's, of other oh, You know, there's always another way. There's always another way. Dr. Walter, thank you for coming on and for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, so if you want to hear more from Dr. Walter, I have a couple surprises. There are a lot of things that he and I are working on right now, and you will find out about them soon over the summer months. But if you did want to reach out to Dr. Walter and you had any questions, you could find them on his LinkedIn page, Dr. Michael Walter, or um, at the university's website, or or you could always send me an email or DM on Instagram and I'd be happy to connect you uh, to him. Thank you, Dr. Walter, for coming on this episode. Thank you for having me. And I can't wait for the next one too, because I I really enjoyed this. So thank you. Anytime. Visit us at www.bellsnotebook.com. Subscribe to our email list for all of our updates, like us on social media, and thank you for following along.